week 13, the flow of obedience. Last week, we saw that David came to a place where he let the circumstances of Samuel, the prophet's death, make him a little bit of a hothead. And he went to this guy, Nabal, and he asked for some, some scraps from this huge celebration because Nabal was a very wealthy man. And Nabal said, I'm not giving you a dang thing because it's mine. And David got mad and said, all right, guys, strap up, get your chores, we're going to kill every one of them. And luckily, uh, Abigail, Nabal's wife, saw the need, so he met David. she met David halfway, spoke on behalf of the Lord, and David said, thank you that you have shown me what I'm supposed to do so that I didn't commit murder. And when, what's funny is Abigail goes back to her town. She tells the next morning after her husband wakes up from a very long night of drinking, um, he, he wakes up sober. Uh, he, he, Abigail tells him, hey, I gave all that food to, to David, and he had a stroke and died 10 days later. So... I got a bigger laugh next, last week. Um, that's what's going on here. We talked about the idea of managing extra in your life so that God will get glory. We talked about how we have to realize that God will send his voice to show us the way in the midst of imperfection. Um, being the qualifier, being those who truly seek God. One thing great about the story of David is that we see David continually as he progresses in um, success, if you will, winning battles, becoming a great leader. We also see him messing up more and more and more. He calls 85 priests to be killed. Uh, he, 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 was, he was lying. Uh, he wanted to go, go, to go kill a man who wouldn't give him some, some food. I mean, we see that as he increased, some, so some things are starting to go on where David's kind of, uh, you know, he's messing up a little bit. But what's great is that what qualifies David as a man of God is not his perfection. It's that he simply seeks God in the midst of imperfection. Perfection. And we should never use that as a reason to be imperfect, but it gives us kind of a weight off our shoulder that your qualifier is not a perfect life. Your qualifier is seeking because in seeking, maybe you'll mess up, but in the mess up, you're quick to say, I repent, then making excuses for your mess up because you're obsessed with God rather than yourself and your stature and your pride and all this. You become obsessed with what God wants for you. So, in that seeking, uh, going on into this next chapter, I believe that there is power in obedience in the flow of obedience that unlocks things in our lives. Obedience is not just something where you do what you're supposed to do so that you can get a check on your, you know, my relationship with God tally sheet. A flow of obedience is understanding that when you are obedient to God, you gain access to things that you did not have before. And that's what we're going over. So tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel 26 and 27, and 28. I'm going to try to cover three chapters tonight, and I'm going to try to do it in a reasonable time, not to get keeping you too, too long. But I want to start off in 1 Samuel 26, verse 1. It says, Now some men from Ziph came to uh, Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which overlooks Jeshemon. I wish someone would have wrote simpler names in Scripture, because this is just ridiculous. Here again, <laughs> David is betrayed. Why do these people keep betraying David? He keeps on doing good. He keeps on doing the right thing, but he keeps on being betrayed. The fact of the matter is these people are the ones that, that, that keep betraying David. And really and truthfully what's going on is they're scared. Because if David takes the throne, they're probably thinking, well, if he takes the throne, we don't exactly have the best track record with the king. 
So they're probably wanting to take David out because they're scared of what he might do to them once he ascends to the throne. So they're continually betraying him. And one thing that God spoke to me is we wonder so many times why do people betray us and why do we go through these times where as good as we are or as faithful as we are or as loyal as we are, why do we go through these times when we study betrayal or, or, or um, experience betrayal? And I think that really the truth is the reason people betray you is not because they, they, they just want to do bad things to you. They're scared of something inside of you and they want to see you fail. There is something inside of you that does not agree with their spirit and whether they know it or not, because the, the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light, they think they're doing good, but what they're actually doing is doing something that's not in agreement with where you're going. That's what's going on with these people and David. They're betraying him, they're scared of him, and they don't know what to do. So what do you do when people betray you? Look at Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Look at the importance God puts on forgiving your brothers and sisters. He says, I cannot release my forgiveness on you if you harbor unforgiveness. You want me to forgive you, but you cannot forgive your mother or father. You can't forgive your husband or your wife. You can't forgive that person who did this to you. You can't forgive that pastor. You can't forgive these people. They did such a bad thing to you. But if you really believe that your God is bigger and your God is, is this thing that rises above, then we have to understand we got to kind of suck it up and get into the principle and say, I would rather have his forgiveness than feel better about harboring my bitterness. And if I would just forgive them, something is released over me, and I want that because right now the last thing I feel is released. I feel weighted down and we think the way to get the weight off is to harbor it because you want to feel good about yourself no no, no. we got to forgive because that's what God says you forgive and I'll forgive you so David got that but Saul didn't and in verse 2 it says when he found out <coughs> that David was in the hills Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph Saul camped along the roadside uh, beside the hill of Hakalah near Jeshimon where David was hiding. And when David learned that Saul had come after him in the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the reports of Saul's arrival. Someone say repeat. Do y'all remember what happened in the last couple chapters? The exact same thing happened. He went after David. He went in a cave. David and his men were hiding in a cave. King Saul went to go, used the bathroom. And they had every chance to kill him. It's happening again. He sends 3,000 elite troops again. Not just some troops, the best troops. He wants to take them out. And then in verse 5, it says, David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me, David asked. Ahimelech the Hittite and Ab mm -hmm, a son of Z. <laughs> Joab's brother, I'll go with you, A replied. So David and Abashai, sure, we'll just go with A. So David and A went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to us this time. It's literally the same conversation as in the cave. You ever find yourself going through the same 
roundabout experiences in life and you wonder why, why do I got to keep dealing with the same thing? So A whispered to David, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike him twice. No, David said. Remember what David did. He made a pact with Samuel that he's not going to kill him. He says, no, 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 don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in a battle. But the Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take a spear in that jug of water beside his head and then let's get out of here. <laughs> David says, I cannot go against what God's spoken to me. God's going to take care of my enemy. But I am called to do one thing, love my enemy and in the midst of them trying to take me out, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to forgive them. Because if I want God's protection and peace over me, I've got to forgive the thing trying to betray me and take me out. David got it. Matthew 10, 38. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Take up the cross. What was the cross? It was the place Jesus was sacrificed on. It says, if you refuse to sacrifice what you want, and your way of thinking, and follow the ways of God, you're not worthy of being called children of God. Notice that says nothing about saying a salvation prayer. Because we have, we have limited seeking God to go into church, go into an altar call, saying a prayer, and you're saved. But God says the, the ones who are truly saved are the ones who, who are truly seeking me and are willing to take up their cross and follow me. Die to their wants, die to their desires, die to the systems of the world and follow me. Salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is a lifestyle of following. He says those are the ones worthy of being mine. Not perfect people, people who want to follow me. Because sacrifice is hard. And in sacrifice, it's going to be hard to do the things God's called us to do. But we're not exempt from it. So he says, those are mine. So David got this. Saul didn't. And in verse 12, it says, David took the spear and the jug of the water uh, that, that were near Saul's head. And then he and A got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. Notice it says they weren't tired. It says the Lord put them in a deep sleep. There is a favor on David unlike any other. David has the ability to take someone and walk through a, a, a circle of army with 3,000 strong warriors sleeping, get next to Saul, take a water jug, which makes sound when you walk with it, and take a spear out of the ground, walk through the 3,000 troops again, and no one woke up. There is something on David. Wouldn't you love to have that? Well, we're going to find out how to get it tonight. I love David. This, this is my kind of guy. David climbed the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance. And then he sat down to the soldiers and to Abner, sent him there. Wake up, Abner. Who is it, Abner demanded. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? David taunted. That's, that's what I do. I, I would taunt as long as I'm a safe distance. Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you sinned. No, because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. 
Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that were beside his head? David says something profound. He says, you don't deserve life if you are living apart from your assignment. What was their assignment? Protect the king. He says, you deserve to die because you can't even do that. And there are so many of us in this room, and when I say so many, every single person, there is an assignment on you from God. Whether you're young or old or really old or somewhere in the middle, there is an assignment on you. You have a purpose. There is something you should be doing in line with the steps of God the Father. And he says, we don't deserve life if we're not walking in that alignment. Because your purpose is not just to get stuff and, 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 and bring it together in this world while you're alive. Your purpose is not to fulfill your dream of, of getting a house. Your purpose is not to fulfill your dream of, of being very wealthy. Not necessarily that those things are bad things. If you've got a house, great. If you're wealthy, great. But what's important is the assignment on you in the midst of those things that you are blessed with. What's your assignment? Not what's your goal. Because if we fulfill the assignment, God will give you as you, are, as you need to do with it. That's why we talked about managing extra. Because if you have extra in your finances and extra in your accommodations, you are to be doing something with it to glorify him and not look at me and look what I've done and look what I've accrued. Your life is in your assignment. You have a purpose. Are you walking in it? There is a necessity to being obedient in it. And we're about to find out what obedience unlocks. Because while David called Abner out of his disobedience, David was obedient. And in verse 17, it says this. Y'all okay? Okay. Saul recognized David's voice and called out, Is that you, my son, David? Same thing. And David replied, Yes, my lord, the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What's my crime? But now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord. He, David's telling him, if you're right, so be it. But if you're wrong, may you be cursed. He's calling them out. He's telling the truth. For they have driven me from my home so I can no longer live among the Lord's people. And they said, go worship pagan gods. Must I die on foreign soil far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the king of Israel come out to search for a single fleet? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountains? And then Saul confessed, I've sinned. Come back home, my son. I will no longer try to harm you. For my, sorry, I'll no longer try to harm you. For, for you value my life today. I've been a fool and very, very wrong. Here is your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power. For you are the Lord's anointed one. Just because you have power doesn't mean you can use it for bad intention. Because the Lord is so good and just that he gave it unto David to make a decision. And he is so just that he has given you things and he has said, all I want you to do is make a decision. Will you glorify me or do what you want to do? What are you going to do with it? So he says... Now, now may the Lord value my life even as I had valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. 
And Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. And then David went away, and Saul returned home. Instant replay. The exact same happened in the cave. He told him what was going on. He told him he was a sinner. He said, look, I, I've spared your life. And Saul goes through this whole repentance. I'm sorry. You're going to be a great king. You're going to do great things. You're an amazing man. Yada, 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 yada. And David goes home. Now we're going to read some context in the next chapter, and I'm going to bring some light to it. 1 Samuel 27, verses 1 through 4. Y'all keeping up? Okay. David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul's going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Now remember, the Philistines are the enemy of the Israelites. The Philistines were the army that David came against when he took down their leader, Goliath. David is known by the Philistines as someone who has been conquering their territory. And David says, I can't live among my people. I've got to get out of here, and I've got to go to, to the Philistines. Why? He says, then Saul will stop hunting me for, in Israelite territory, and I'll finally be safe. So David took 600 men and went over and joined A, son of M, the king of Gath. I need to take a lesson in that. David and his men and their family settled there with Ashish at Gath. David brought his two wives along with him, A from J and A. Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail and Nabal's widow from Carmel. And word soon reached Saul that David had fled to Gath. So he stopped hunting him. Now you're talking 10, 15 possible years at this point. More like 10. That Saul has been hunting down David trying to kill him. And David has had an instant replay with the same thing, going through the same conversation... And then he leaves, and all of a sudden, Saul stops hunting for David. Matter of fact, after the scripture, Saul never hunts for David again in the story. And then we're going to find out how he dies. I'm not going to tell you yet. But he stops hunting David. That's what David wanted the entire time. Stop coming after me. Stop killing me. Or trying to kill me. Stop trying to do all this bad stuff. Why was it that at this point did David finally get the release of Saul never hunting him again? David was obedient to only one invitation, and that was the command of God. Twice Saul has said, David, come back home. I won't harm you. But David had a wisdom that he has gained over time that Saul, no matter how good it sounds, is going to get me, and I keep escaping, but if I go back to him, I'm done. It sounds like a good invite. It sounds like a good experience, but I cannot go back. Now, if you remember, when he was in the palace, Saul kept trying to kill David over and over by the same means. When David played the harp, he threw the spear. And this replayed many a time. But now, later in life, David's learned, I can't keep doing this over and over again. How did David have this wisdom? He gained wisdom out of a flow of obedience. The more obedient he was, the more wisdom he gained. And in this obedience, he got the wisdom to do what's right. And isn't that what we all want? God, give me the wisdom and understanding to make the right choices, to, to go into this leap of faith, to say no to that door. Isn't that what we want? We want the wisdom and understanding of what to do when we can't hear an audible voice of God, 
Like, what, how do we get that wisdom? It flows from obedience. And even when we are disobedient, you get the wisdom from learning the, 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 the results of not flowing in obedience. Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. David understood that through his obedience that he was not to mix with what God did not have his hand on. Saul said, come to me twice. And both times David said, I've got to go the other direction. Because David understood, I cannot live with the one who is against me. I can't be in that. I've got to go where God wants me to go. James 3.17, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Both times, David has bowed to Saul in reverence to a man that was trying to kill him. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Why is it important to know this wisdom? Because it leads to a protection over you. The sermon is called the flow of obedience. Out of obedience, there was a flow of protection. Why do you think David could go in this ring of 3,000 elite troops that God calls him to fall asleep? It wasn't because God wanted David to go spy. It was because when David said, I'm going into this territory, being obedient to my God in heaven, God says, I'm going to place a protection over you and cause him to be asleep. He caused protection because of obedience. If David had gone in and God not told him to gone in, do you think God would have caused him to fall asleep? No, he was walking in step with God, and because of his obedience, a protection was placed over David by making these men fall asleep. God has a plan, but you have free will, and you've got to learn how to say yes, and you've got to learn how to say no, but you'll never gain the wisdom if you can't be obedient in the small things. You want wisdom, but you can't tithe. You want wisdom, but you don't pray. You want wisdom, but you don't have relationship. You want wisdom, and you don't know how to worship. Why would God give you wisdom if you can't be obedient in a simple thing such as not gossiping? Because you get it from obedience. Well, what wisdom did he apply? Well, number one, David sought peace over revenge. David sought peace over revenge. Throw it up there, Megan. This is the second time that David could have killed Saul. But David learned wisdom in the fear of his God, that God would handle it. And all David needed to do was pursue peace. Matthew 5, 9, God blesses those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. Romans 12, 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Every, everyone, everyone, everyone. Who? Everyone. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. David <coughs> sought peace over revenge. He sought peace instead of harboring unforgiveness. He sought peace and out of it flowed a protection over him. 
And the wisdom that came from it was simply this. He said, I'm being obedient and God has given me the wisdom to instead of attack Saul after trying to kill me, I'm going to seek peace and I'm going to seek restoration and I'm going to seek forgiveness and I'm going to bow before him. I'm going to tell him where he's wrong. I'm going to tell him where it's truth. But I'm also going to tell him that he is still my king and I'm still going to serve him. That is where David's at. He is not letting Saul's sin and Saul's disobedience to God change David's purpose in being in his allegiance to his God. So many times we think God changes circumstantially, but he does not. Our God is constant. Our God is stable. Our God never changes. He stays the same. If God has called you to make peace, it does not matter what they did. It does not matter how wrong they are. It does not matter how sinful they did. You make peace. That's it. And if you don't, don't expect a magical one day you wake up knowing the wisdom of God. Because it flows from an obedient lifestyle to him. It's a relationship. You're not going to know your husband or wife if you don't have a relationship in being obedient to, to the covenant of marriage. This church is not going to grow if we don't stay obedient to building a relationship with each other. You know, we don't do all this stuff just to do stuff. God's been speaking to me about what we're doing. We're, we're, we're doing less right now intentionally because we need to make sure in what we're doing we're building intimate relationship with each other. Because he says make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the spirit, not unified in just breaking bread. We love to point out the breaking bread scriptures because every time Jesus was with his disciples, they were either taking communion or, 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 or eating every time. There's importance in that. But this says make yourselves to keep yourselves unified in the spirit. So whether it's baking, making bread or, or breaking bread or, or coming together for prayer or serving at the park or, or coming together for worship, whatever we do, we've got to make sure that we are unified. And if there is any offense between you or brother or sister in this house, would you make some effort to make some peace because it's causing the body to be crippled? Amen? Amen? We, 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 we've, got to, we've got to break all this junk down and get together. We don't make it enough attempt to keep peace in this life, and we wonder why we don't receive the covering or protection in the midst of adversity. Well, why won't God protect me? Have you been obedient to get the wisdom and walking into the place where he wants to? We always want God to do, but he says it's really simple. I've created a system called the kingdom. If you abide by it, you get it all. So the next time something goes wrong, instead of asking why, take a self-assessment about what you have not done. Have I been obedient? If I have not, let me repent of where I have not been obedient and make a change. I talked to the students Wednesday night about repentance. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness over and over and over. That's called confession. Repentance is... I recognize my wrong, I'm walking away, and never turning back. Repentance is I'm changing the course of my life. I messed up here, and I'm going to stop mixing with the thing that caused me to mess up. Which brings us to number two. Throw it up there. David did not rejoin the enemy of God. Twice, Saul says all the right stuff. Forgive me, David, you're a great man, you're, you're going to be a great king, you're a value, you're, you're this, you're this, you're this. Come home. And every time it says David went back to the wilderness. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. 
Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Well, Kyle, they're not wicked. Yes, they are. They just don't know. And it's not them. It's the lifestyle they're entangled in. And they don't know they're in the midst of wickedness, and they've got to be rescued out of it. And you can't rescue something that you're in yourself. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? You see, we always like to read that scripture and think it talks about marriage. But I, I, it's more than that. It's what are you married to in your life? If your friends are people who don't seek God, that is a qualification for darkness and wickedness. And if you truly want to get wisdom in the flow of obedience, you separate yourself from the people who don't know your God. And if you can't, don't expect to gain more wisdom, you fool. Look at Deuteronomy 14.2. You've been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. He has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. He has set you apart to be his special treasure. You are so much of value to him that he says, I want you to be different and I want you to be separated. But the church has preached this feel-good message of saying, let's just accept everyone and do life together. Yes, we are to accept everyone, but we are to be set apart in the acceptance. We always say, welcome home at Berlin's. We always say, everyone's invited. Yes, but I am not going to mix my lifestyle with someone who walks into this house who is full of darkness. I want to influence them to walk out and come into my territory. But what Christians do is we see darkness and we say, well, I want to minister to them. And I want to love them, so I'm just going to join them just one time doing this thing. And I, I want them to know Christ, and there's light and darkness, so I'm just going to get a little bit more. And the scripture's like, light cannot live in that. You're set apart. Be among them, but not with them. Be among the lost, but don't mix with it. David was obedient. Saul said all the right stuff. Oh, I bow before you, my king. You're a great guy. You're doing all these things. And David's like, I ain't no way in, I'm going to live with you. Because he was obedient. That he, and the, the first scripture in the next chapter, he says, if I go back with him, I'm going to die. Think about what believers do. Every time we compromise, we have gone back to something that influenced you to death. What is death? Living out of the light. Living apart from God. God says, you are not worthy of mine unless you follow me. And following him does not lead you into sin. It does not lead you into compromise. Again, the beautiful part of all this is he doesn't expect perfection. He expects you to seek him and walk into a life of perfection. He knows you're going to mess up. But messing up does not excuse you to live in that life because, well, I'm going to do it. It's I'm going to separate myself from that thing. Because I want the wisdom to know what God wants me to do. And the only way I'm going to get it is be obedient. I've got to be obedient and I'm going to seek peace. I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to bless my enemies. And I'm not going to mix my life with people who don't follow God. And that qualifier is not if they're in church or not. Because I can tell you right now, there's people in the church that do not seek God. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're seeking God. I'm talking about a lifestyle of I'm dying to myself and 
grabbing on to this picture of what God wants from me. Because the reason God puts all of these limits on you for obedience is because the lifestyle you're living does not lead to your full potential of what he dreamed of when he created you. And God is obsessed with seeing you walk into what he created you to be. And the only way you can get there is die to your wants and die to your desires and say, God, I'm going to go after you even when it hurts, even when I don't want to, even when it makes me not like hang out with my friends on a Friday night, even when I can't watch that movie, even when I can't listen. I know this seems elementary, but if we can't be obedient in small things, how do we ever expect to get in the wisdom of knowing a prophetic word or if a dream is from God or if you're in a grocery store and you get that feeling and you want to walk up to that person, but you don't because you don't know if it's God or you don't know if it's your conscience. How do we know? you got to get the wisdom. How do you get the wisdom? You've got to be obedient. David didn't just wake up one day smart. He was obedient. What was he obedient to? I'll take care of sheep. I'll learn to play an instrument. I'll soothe the king with my heart playing. I'll bring bread to brothers who don't like me. I'll kill a giant for people who don't believe in me. I'll serve in the palace. Now he wants to kill me. I'll keep serving. I'll keep serving. Now he wants to kill me again. I'll keep serving. I run to the wilderness. I'll keep serving. He comes against me. I bow to him. I call him Lord. I call him King. I'll keep serving. I'll keep serving. I can kill him. I won't kill him. I can kill him. I won't kill him. Obedience, 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 obedience. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. <laughs> Man, this is good stuff. Matthew 10, 16. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among, among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. You can be among the wicked but not yoke with them. And David got it. I can't go back there. So look in verse 5. It says, one day David said to Ashes, if it's all right with you, we would rather live in one of the country towns instead of here in the royal city. Now I wonder how is he so bold to ask a, the king of, of Philistine territory, can he live there? Because let's be honest. David has killed like every Philistine person he's ever come to battle with. So when he says, hey, can I live among you? I guarantee you that king's going to be like, yes, sir. So Ashes gave him the town of Ziklag, which still belongs to the kings of Judah to this day. And they lived there among the Philistines for a year and four months. David and his men spent their time raiding the, the Jeshurites, the, the Gersites, and the Amalekites. Y'all remember the Amalekites? Saul was supposed to kill them all. He didn't, so God took his, his hand off of him. <laughs> People who had lived near Shur toward the land of Egypt since ancient times. David did not leave one person alive in the villages he attacked. He took the sheep, goats, the cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing before returning home to see King Ashes. Where did you make your raid today, Ashes would ask. And David would reply, well, against the south of Judah, the Jeremiah, and the Kenites. Hmm. Because this just said he went to the Jezreelites, the Gersites, and the Malachites and killed them all. Imperfect, but a seeker. He told a little fib, but he's seeking. No one was left alive to come to Gath and tell where he had really been. This happened again and again while he was living among the Philistines. Ashes believed David and thought to himself, by now the people of Israel must really hate him and Bitterly, and now we will have to stay here and serve me forever. 
David lives among the Philistines, the enemy of the Israelites, among them. But he stayed true to what God called him to do. Because while he lived among the Philistines, he didn't become a Philistine. He finished the job that God told Saul to do. Take out every Amalekite and don't let one stay. Take out the donkeys, the camels, the sheep, the goats, kill them all. Take them out. He was fulfilling the assignment that was supposed to be given over Saul. Why is it that David can live among the people who are his enemy? Because he went there out of God's leading. You don't go into enemy, enemy territory because you have a desire to do it. You go because God says be obedient to this ridiculous request. And he went and he was obedient and out of the flow of obedience he got protection and he was able to live in the place that where he was taking everyone out. Your enemy is not clever enough to see what you're doing. We give Satan so much more credit than he deserves. I almost think every time a believer says Satan's working on me, you're giving him glory. Like Jesus didn't even see fit to have a total conversation with Satan. But we give Satan too much, well, the enemy's working on me. The enemy's working on me today. The enemy's got me. And Satan's like, yeah, I do. His name is not even worth being mentioned. His time is not worth my time. His, the, the things he's trying to pull against me is not worth my mind. It's not worth my peace. All I, I, I don't want to give the enemy glory by giving him credit for my, my struggle. If I'm struggling, I'm not going to say the enemy's got me. If I'm struggling, I'm going to say, God, what you want me to do? Why have a conversation with someone who's dead when you've got complete access to someone who is alive? Jesus, here I am. What do I need to get in line with? Because if I'm struggling, it ain't because of that cat. It's because of this one. <laughs> David never wanted to take up residency among the Philistines. He knew it was temporary. And he may have fibbed, but we see the beauty of God, that the qualifier for David was not him lying out of possible fear because let's be honest he doesn't want to go tell the king is killing his people because he might get killed and David's messed up a few times but he's he, David's just seeking God and we're going to find out later that David makes some more mistakes in the story but he's seeking God we all make mistakes why is it that in one mistake we think that disqualifies us so much from the life of God that we run away he says, follow me and you're my children. You don't have to make every perfect step. Just follow me. Just, just, just follow me. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to cut some ties. You're going to have to do some things that are uncomfortable. But just follow me. <laughs> don't let fear cause you to compromise. You've got one goal. Seek God. Make peace. Don't mix with the enemy. Carry out his will. Saul's anointed. That can't be changed. Because remember, Romans says that every leader put in leadership is put there by God. But with free will, Saul decides that he is going to take this leadership ability and do wicked things. So Saul sinning and David makes him sinning. David sins as well. What's the difference? David doesn't stop seeking. Saul does. 
which brings us to chapter 28. Look at verse 1. I'm getting there. Is this good tonight? About that time, the Philistine mustered their armies for another war with Israel. And King Ashes told David, you and your men will be expected to join me in battle. Very well, David agreed. Now you will see for yourself what we can do. And then Ashes told David, I'll make you my personal bodyguard for life. Look what he's doing. He's, he's honoring. And then Ashes told David, or meanwhile, Saul, Samuel had died. All Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. And Saul had banned, had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do. What is Saul asking for? Wisdom. But has Saul been obedient? So the Lord refused to answer him. Dang. He wouldn't answer him by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. He, Saul had a moment of desperation. God, would you tell me? You've been disobedient. You don't gain access to this wisdom anymore. What's the difference between David and Saul? Because David's made some bad choices. Kyle, does that mean if I'm disobedient, God won't speak to me? No. Look what Saul does. Verse 7. Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who's a medium. Now, he just outlawed mediums. Find one who's a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. Saul outlaws evil, and then when God doesn't answer, he turns to evil. Did David do that? So many of us are in too much mixture trying to find answers in other places other than God. You try to find answers in horoscopes. You try to find answers in burning oil and incense. You try to get peace by getting that specific kind of thing and doing this and this and that. I'm not saying God doesn't use stuff. The Bible says that the violin plays on the strings of the heart. The literal heart, not the spiritual one. I'm not saying God doesn't use things, but what are you seeking for answers? David never turns from God. Saul's like, well, fine, God, if you want to answer, I'll go talk to a medium who talks with the devil. Because let's not mistake the devil. The devil knows truth. If he didn't know truth, he wouldn't have been worthy of rebellion. He rebelled against the truth he knew. And he uses truth and manipulates it. So Saul, in verse 8, disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. And then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who's died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? You trying to get me killed? Remember, she's been outlawed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised. <laughs> so screwed up. In the name of God, I won't turn you in, devil worshiper. As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Remember who Samuel is. He's the prophet. 
When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. I'm not going to do a scream. You've deceived me. You're Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see, a, I see a God coming out of the earth, she said. What does he look like, Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. And Saul realized it was Samuel. And he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked Saul. Because I'm in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines were at war with me, and God's left me, and he won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, why ask me? Since the Lord has left you and you've become his enemy. And he's become yours. Why? He's proving himself in this moment. He's seeking wisdom from the devil. Sam was like, why are you asking me? I speak on behalf of God. And you ain't with him. <laughs> the Lord has done just as he said he would. He's torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. Why? disobedience the Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites we're 15 years in and Samuel's bringing up stuff he did 15 years ago and some of you are dealing with stuff today that you have not dealt with the root of that has happened in your past and you think because you're older and you've moved past it that it doesn't matter. But you need, you need to understand if you have come against God, if you do not repent, you will not be able to move forward. If you have not made peace with people in the past, you'll never move forward. The reason Saul cannot move forward is one mistake he made 15 years ago. Make every effort for peace. Be obedient. Seek the Lord. When you seek the Lord, he is going to bring up stuff that you don't want to deal with. And you can choose, do I want freedom or do I stay in this bondage by running away from it? So, what's more, verse 19, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. And you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. It's all God is wisdom. But yeah, you die tomorrow, dude. Verse 20. Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was also faint with hunger, for he had eaten nothing all day and night. When the woman saw how distraught he was, she said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. Look at this. The only way Saul can regain strength is, is getting it from a woman who doesn't see God. When the strength of the Lord is upon us and we are, are, are able to be renewed, we don't have to get it from someone. We don't have to get it from anything. We just get it from seeking in obedience. All Samuel had was a medium who was living as an outlaw that had some pieces of food just to get a little bit of strength. <laughs> but Saul refused to eat anything, and then his buyers joined the woman in urging to him to eat, so he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it, took some flour, kneaded it in the dough, and baked unleavened bread. See, she was doing a good thing, but doing good things doesn't qualify you as godly. 
doing the good things God has blessed and ordained and anointed qualifies you as a child of God. And the horrible thing is that in Savannah, Georgia, some of the nicest people are people who denounce the name of Jesus. We've got to flip that. She brought the meal to Saul and his abiders, and they ate it, and then they went out into the night. Look at what's going on here. Saul's gone so far from God that he's turning to mediums and ungodly sources to get protection. Instead of exercising the wisdom of being obedient to God, really and truthfully, all Saul had to do is say, God, forgive me for not defeating the Amalekites and make it right. Seek peace with David. But he was so far gone. And as I was reading this, I began to wonder, why did God use a medium? Because you're telling me mediums are evil, and then he got what he wanted by getting King Saul? Or, I mean, the, the prophet Samuel? I don't think he did. Because if you pay attention to the scripture, when the woman tried to call the answers up, she wasn't seeking to talk to Samuel. She was seeking to talk to what she was used to, evil. Because what was her response when Samuel popped up? She screamed. What she saw was not what she is used to talking with. In other words, God intervened. And God intervened in a way that Samuel or the, that King Saul decided after this he was never going after David again. We have a lifestyle of two people who have been completely obedient and then completely disobedient. And Saul keeps falling backwards into fright and hunger and pain and weakness. And now he just found out that he is falling into death and David's over here climbing. Not because David's better than Saul. Because Saul was a good guy at one time. He was so great that God said, that's the one who I want to be the first king. It wasn't because David was better. Because David was obedient. And out of his obedience, he gained so much wisdom that he made the right decisions when he needed to. There is a flow from obedience. And we've got to wake up. Because it's got to be one or the other. We're either going to be people who seek to be obedient to him and walk in everything he has for us, or we're not. And Matthew 12, 30 says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. The qualifier is not of his good. It's are you in line with what he wants you to do? Are you obedient with what he wants you to be? Have you said yes to the things he's called you to say yes? Have you said no to the things he's called you to say no? Maybe you're in a place where you don't know what to say yes to and what you don't want to say no to. Your first step is to pull out your Bible just as it talked about last week. It said, I don't need to send someone from the dead to tell you the truth. I've had Moses and the prophets write it down. Read your Bible and start abiding and then you're going to get your wisdom. Stop asking me over text messages and phone calls, Kyle, how do I get wisdom? Start asking your God, what have you not been obedient in? 
Because wisdom flows from wisdom will not flow from disobedience. And I believe that where we are going as a church, we are doing something that's, that at least this area and this region has never seen. So we can't go off of church models. We just got to seek God. And throughout this entire story thus far, the biggest message is where is your relationship with me and the people around you? David made peace with his enemies. He tried to. He took out what he was called to take out. But he never mixed. He never gave up his morality or his values. He just simply sought God. He went in difficult situations. He was in good situations. But he sought God. And every time he did it, wisdom, choices, favor, protection. Wouldn't it be amazing to be a church that had the boldness to go into places in Savannah that policemen can't even go into without two or three cars? You know how we're going to get that level of protection? Obedience. David and another guy walked into a circle of 3,000 troops and came out with a jug of water and a spear because God calls them to fall asleep. That's the kind of church I want to be. To have a cloud of protection over us so much that nothing will ever stop us from saying yes to what he's called us to say yes to. Your obedience is the hinge of your walk with God. So I want to challenge us all from here on out. Let's be a, a body and a family who hinges everything on obedience. You want to know how to seek wisdom? Seek obedience. You want to fix your family? Seek obedience. You want to fix the broken relationship? Seek obedience. You want to figure out your finances? Seek obedience. You want to figure out why you have so, so much weight on you? Seek obedience. The, the weight of issues. <laughs> Good night. I need to seek some obedience to that. <laughs> well, on that note, let's stand. <laughs> if this word spoke to you, can y'all give God some praise tonight?